Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Well, good morning. So good to be back with you. I was gone last week because we had a family wedding, and I always miss being able to worship together with all of you. This is family. You are my family, so it's a joy. A few years back, I was having a lot of lower back pain to the point where trying to do two services, I had to sit down in between, and by the end of the second, it was hurting so bad I could hardly stand. had to go home and lay down, and it was just a lot of pain. So I went to the doctor, and they did x-rays, thinking maybe I had something damaged in my vertebrae, and they said, no, everything looks fine. You just have not been exercising your muscles properly. So they sent me to a physical therapist, and he gave me a series of exercises. I went a number of weeks, and uh, he gave me these exercises to work on, and as long as I do those regularly, I don't have back problems. You've seen Adrienne up here with her arm in a sling. She had shoulder surgery and she's not supposed to use it, and yet she still needs to go to physical therapy, and they work her hard because if you don't work those muscles, they atrophy. They become weak, so you have to strengthen those. And a number of you have had injuries, surgeries, and you'll notice how quickly they get you working the muscles again so that you can build strength in those muscles, and they will not atrophy. Well, all of us, when we came to Christ, every one of us, We came to Christ injured, broken, needy. We needed His forgiveness. We needed life. We were broken people. And when we put our faith in Christ, when we trust Him, He gives us a new heart. We are made new on the inside. He does surgery on us, so to speak. But now we need to learn to live by that new heart. We need to learn to live by faith, to exercise, so to speak, our trust muscle. (laughs) Because I think a lot of us as Christians, if we don't exercise that trust muscle, it atrophies. It doesn't get stronger. And so we end up weak in our faith, weak in our trust. So God works 
our circumstances work our li- works our lives because what's most important to him is that we learn to trust him with all that we are. We've trusted in his death on the cross, but now how do I trust him with everyday life? That's what he's called us to do, to learn to live by this new heart, to learn to exercise our trust, exercise our faith. Now, I suppose if I asked many of you, you'd, do you trust Jusus? You'd say, sure I do. You know, I'm, I'm trusting him in this, I trust him in that, I'm learning. But the process of the Christian life is that we need to learn to trust him more with all that we mean, all that we are. And, and what does it mean to trust him anyway? What does it look like? What does it look like to depend on him, which is what trust is all about? How do we exercise our faith, strengthen that trust muscle so that we can walk in the joy that he longs for us to have? Well, I think this psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 16, is a marvelous psalm by King David that will help us learn what it means to walk in trust, to exercise our trust muscles so that we can trust him more. So let's pray and then we'll look at Psalm 16 together. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is so real to us. And we admit that we want to trust you more, but in so many ways we need to grow in that. We need to grow and exercise and strengthen our trust muscle, our faith, so that we can depend more fully on you and reflect you more and more to others around us. So, Lord, use this psalm. May your spirit be working in each of us this morning to deepen our understanding of what it means to trust you with our whole heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just... So you know kind of what's going on this summer. This summer we'll be looking at a number of psalms together. When I teach, we're doing something a little different this summer. Rod will be doing a little different because he's in Israel right now when he comes back. He'll be talking about, uh, describing like he did last week, in the footsteps of the rabbi, in the dust of the rabbi. He'll be talking about events from Jesus' life in different places in the land after he's gone and visited with the folks from this church. So he'll be doing that, but I, when I teach, will be looking at different psalms. I love the book of Psalms. It's a marvelous book that reflects, really, the heart of who we are, the heart of worship. They're honest. They're gritty. They're real life. Prayers, songs, poems that reflect the depths of our worship, of our walk with God. Jesus recited the Psalms. He depended on the Psalms. They were his book of worship. The early church depended on the book of Psalms. In fact, if you look at the New Testament and look at every place that the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, two-thirds of all those quotes are from the book of Psalms. You see, the early church looked to this book as their book of worship, as the book that gave them guidance and what it means to really live in a dependent relationship on God. So the early church sang and recited the Psalms. All through church history, the church has looked to this book, the book of Psalms, 
as their book to, for guidance for worship, for songs, for uh, poems, for expressing the very heart of who we are in him. It was clearly throughout history the key book for Christian worship and community. So let's look at this marvelous psalm by King David. It begins this way, a miktam of David. There's a little superscription there. You want to know what a miktam is? So do I. (laughs) Scholars don't know. They don't have a clue. You know, there's speculation, but honestly, we don't know what it means. But we do know this is a psalm of David. David wrote this. And think about David for a minute. David was the anointed king, a man after God's own heart, who loved God, who followed him, but not perfectly. He sinned. He blew it. We'll look at that next week when we look at another one of David's psalms. But he is God's king, God's chosen king. And as such, he represents the entire nation of Israel. And he represents the coming Messiah, the seed of David, Jesus himself. And he represents every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus. So this psalm applies to us just like it applies to David because it reflects our faith in God just like it reflects David's faith and Jesus' faith in the Father. So that's how the psalm begins. And then it begins this way. David says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Or in the NIV, keep me safe, O God. Literally, the word there means to guard me. Guard me, O God. You see, David is acknowledging the fact that he's in trouble. He's in danger. He doesn't tell us what the danger is here. Some places he does in other psalms, but here he doesn't. He just basically says, man, I need help. (laughs) Guard me, protect me. I'm in trouble. I think it's wonderful that we don't know what it is because it means whatever danger you are in or I am in, that it applies to us too, right? Whether we're in danger from attacks from Satan himself, the spiritual warfare we talked about in Ephesians 6 a few weeks ago, whether it's the danger of dealing with our own flesh, our own sinful patterns and struggling with those, whether we're in danger from the world and how it keeps pressuring us and tries to conform us to itself, whatever the danger is, we are in constant danger and we can relate to what David is saying here. He's crying out, Guard me! I need you, Lord! I need you to act! I'm taking refuge in you. How do we live faithful lives in a dangerous world? Well, as this psalm shows us, in a word, trust. Faith. I'm using those interchangeably here. Trust. Faith. That dependence on God. God, I'm looking to you to guard me. I'm looking to you to take care of me, to protect me in this place. I'm looking to you as my refuge in a dangerous world. So David gives us, in the rest of the psalm, a trust routine, exercise routine. He's our spiritual therapist, okay? (laughs) Giving us a routine here to help us know how to walk in trust of him. So he says, I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. How does David begin his workout? His spiritual therapy? He begins by a declaration of trust. 
Lord, I am declaring to you that I'm taking refuge in you. I am declaring to you that you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. You are the most valuable thing in my life. You are the only real good in my life. That is a declaration of trust, of faith. It's a reminder to us that trust, if you want to walk in trust of God, it begins by a commitment of the will that says, okay, Lord, I'm committing myself to trust you. I will say it out loud. I think that's why David quotes it here. I, will, I said to the Lord, you're my Lord. That, he's saying publicly in front of other people, I said out loud, Lord, you're my Lord. I have no good but you. David declares his trust of God as his Lord, as his only good in life. And I think this not only helps David cement his commitment and his trust of God when we verbalize it, but I think it helps others too. It helps David because it helps others hold him accountable. Okay, David, you said you were going to trust God. You know, we're watching you. But I think it also helps others by encouraging their faith, by them saying, wow, David's trusting in God and he went through a lot of tough stuff. His son died. His son rebelled against him. One son raped a daughter. I mean, it was awful what David went through. And yet in the midst of all that, David's saying, I am going to trust you. You're my refuge. I'm hanging on to you. So when we do that, it helps strengthen our faith and the faith of others. This week, I had the privilege of spending some time with two men. Steve prayed for them, who are our unless God does a miracle in their last days. Vern Lind and Jack DeWolf. Two men who have walked with God for a long time, served God for a long time. And I was really struck, for example, talking to Jack DeWolf as I stood by his bedside and we chatted and immediately, you know, he's just got confidence that he's going to go be with the Lord and he's looking forward to that. And as I am there trying to encourage him and, you know, and, and all, he said, hey, I want to pray for you. And he prayed for me. You know what? That was just a wonderful testimony to my heart. Here's a man of faith who is finishing well. That's the encouragement we can give one another when we declare our faith in God. Vern Lind has completely lost his ability to communicate verbally. And yet, he's still an amazing encouragement to me because you can see he's responding. And as we talked about the Lord and talked about trusting him and what he has to look forward to, his eyes would just light up. And you knew he was understanding every word. That was an amazing encouragement to me. <laughs> Two men that are finishing well because they're, in their own way, declaring their trust to everyone around them, finishing well. And then David, in verse 3, shows his loyalty to God by saying this, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones, or glorious ones, in whom is all my delight. David shows his loyalty to God, his commitment as he declares his faith to say, God, I am going to delight in what you delight in. And you've chosen these people, for him the nation of Israel, who were a mess. But he says, I'm choosing to delight in them above all else because you delight in them, Lord. 
And that shows his loyalty. What you delight in, Lord, I will delight in. Look around you. The people around you are saints. They are the glorious ones, the majestic ones that God has chosen. Are they struggling to learn to trust God? Sure, we all are. We're a broken people that are going through rehab. Okay, All of us are. <laughs> Learning to trust Him more. But they, you, we, are the glorious ones. And so David says, that's who I will delight in. Above my family, above anything the world has to offer, among the, above the celebrities that the world seems to delight in foolishly, I will delight myself in the family of God. That's a wonderful statement, a declaration of faith. I will delight in what you delight in, Lord. And then in verse 4 he says, and I will reject what you reject. As he talks about idols, as he says, I will reject those. They're going to be in trouble. Anybody who trusts in idols, I won't pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names, the idols' names, on my lips. What's he getting at here? Well, for Israel, for the people of his day, as David looked around him, he realized, you know, my fellow Israelites are really struggling with trusting you and trusting you alone, God. Because here's what was happening. This was period right at the end of the Judges. They had gotten into the land. They were supposed to wipe out all the Canaanites. They didn't, and so there were Canaanites everywhere. It was there were other religions everywhere. And here's how the Israelites were thinking. They go, you know, we're supposed to worship Yahweh. Well, we'll do that. I'll worship Yahweh, the true God, the creator of the universe. But, you know, Joe down the street, you know, down a little ways, next farm over, well, he burned incense to Baal, and he's got a couple idols to Moloch. And, you know, I think I'll do that too, just, make sure my bases are covered. So the Israelites tend to live this kind of religion where they were intermixed, where they would worship Yahweh, but they would worship other gods just to try to make life work as well as possible. But David declares here, he says, I will not do that. I will not give in to idolatry. I will not choose to worship others. I won't do it publicly, pouring out libations of blood. That's what they did on the high places or privately saying a prayer, take their names on my lips, obey, oh, give me a good crop this year. He didn't do that. He said, I will reject everything but you alone. I will trust in you alone. Now you may say, well, good thing we don't have that problem. We don't have idols today, right? Wrong. Our society is just as idolatrous as theirs was. Our, ours is a little different. Our idols are money. Sex, power, health. And we tend to sacrifice to those, don't we? We put in all kinds of time, money, effort because we think, yeah, I'll worship God. I will. But I don't know if I can trust you alone, God, so I'll also make sure I've got a lot of trust in my 401k, equity in my house. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll make sure I have people like me because status is important to me. I'll make sure I'm taken care of for the future so that, yeah, I'll kind of keep 
hold of you, Lord, but I'm going to hang on to these other things too. And David says, I will do everything I can to not even take their name on my lips. I want to worship you and you alone, depend on you alone. You see this amazing declaration of trust in David where he says, I am going to trust you. I will depend on you and you alone. Part of our struggle is we say, okay, Lord, I'll trust you, but don't take away my health. Don't take away my retirement funds. Don't take away my kids. Don't let my kids struggle. Don't make me suffer, etc. So I think it's an encouragement to us to make this declaration of, of trust in the Lord, to say, Lord, I want to trust you and you alone. I want to let go of the other idols that I've been hanging on to that I tend to put my faith in, my trust in. So that's what strengthening your trust muscle begins with, a declaration of trust. Lord, I will trust you. You're my refuge. You're my only good. I will cling to the things you cling to. I will reject the things you reject. But then he goes on to give us some specific muscle groups, so to speak, areas of trust where if we exercise trust in these areas, I think it will help our faith in him grow. Four different areas, muscles, that we need to strengthen, I think he gives us in verses 5 through 11. The first is the muscle of contentment. The muscle of contentment. All of us struggle in this life with being content, don't we? We're built for heaven. And yet we're stuck on this earth that's difficult and it's hard and we do struggle and it's hard to be content in a fallen world. The only way we can be content is exercise that muscle of contentment. And trust is the only thing, trust in him is the only thing that can truly lead us to contentment. Otherwise we'll be discontent, frustrated and angry because life is hard. Verse 5, my translation says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Here's a place where I think NIV, I know many of you have NIVs, I think the translation is not good. It says, Lord, you have assigned my portion and my cup. That's not what it says. The Hebrew says, Lord, you are. The Lord is my portion and my cup. That's a significant difference. It's not just that the Lord has given me what I need, it's that the Lord is what I need. My relationship with Him is my portion, it's my inheritance, it's what I long for. See, for an Israelite, what was most important to an Israelite was their plot of land, their inheritance, their portion, what was marked out for them. Because that's how they made their living. They were an agricultural society. So they looked to that, and that was what was most important for their life, for their contentment. But what David says here is really profound. He says, it's not what you give me that's most important, where I find my contentment. It's simply in a relationship with you. You are my portion. What I long for more than anything is you. As I began to see this, it's kind of changed my whole perspective. When I struggle, when I go... Lord, I'm starting to feel discontent about what you've given me in life and how come life's hard. When I can discipline my mind and do what David does here and say, wait, wait a minute. What I really long for is you, Lord. What I really long for 
What my portion is is you, and I am claiming that by faith. When we can do that, all of a sudden we can find ourselves being content. You see, that's the muscle of contentment. It's a great statement of trust here. And then in verse 6 where he says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. What's been marked out to me, indeed my heritage is beautiful to me. He's saying, God, what you have given me, the blessings you've chosen to give me, are exactly what I need. Think about that for a minute. The way we approach life a lot of times is, Lord, life's hard. I need this. I need this. I need this. If I'm going to be happy, if I'm going to be content, Lord, I need you to come through for me. And what David is saying, Lord, what you've given me already is enough. That's the secret of contentment. Lord, you're what I need, and what you've chosen to give me is all I need. There's great power in such contentment because it frees us to live life to the fullest. If we can learn to appreciate and be thankful for whatever God has given us already. We all struggle in life, but God wants us to have the freedom of contentment as we exercise the muscle of contentment. If we can say, Lord, you and what you've chosen to give me are enough. Let me say that again because I think I encourage you to write that down. I encourage you to say that every day. Lord, you and what you've chosen to give me are enough for me. I choose to be content in you. That's exercising the muscle of contentment. The next muscle that uh, David goes to as he talks about how to trust in him, how to live a life of trust, is the muscle of instruction. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. We're all looking for wisdom, right? We all want to know how to live life well. This is a crazy world. How do we do it? We want to know how to be good parents, good spouses, how to make decisions in a way that will lead to prospering, not necessarily richness, but just life as God wants us to live it. How do we do that? Well, David says, you are the one who counsels me. You are the one I'm looking to for that kind of wisdom, that kind of input, that kind of instruction. We tend to look at a lot of other places. I mean, the world's saying, hey, you want answers? We got answers. <laughs> look on the Internet. Wikipedia's got all the answers you could ever want. You can know everything. And yet, it doesn't work. I, Psychology says, you want to understand people. You want to know how people work. Hey, psychology's got the answers. And then, yet, look at the reality of it. Psychology doesn't have answers. They're confused and lost. I've studied a lot of psychology, folks. I have a master's in biblical counseling. And the answers are not apart from the Bible. They are in his word. They are in his spirit. Not that there isn't some wisdom out there, but real answers, instruction are in him. And I think David's saying, I will exercise my faith muscle and say, Lord, I believe it's from you that I get the real answers, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. They are in you, and I will cling to you and trust you. The end of verse 7 is really interesting. My translation says, My mind instructs me in the night. Here's a literal translation. My kidneys rebuke me in the night. 
Anybody had your kidneys rebuke you in the night? (laughs) Okay, I don't think he's talking about that little bathroom break, okay? In the Hebrew mindset, you know, we talk about loving someone from the heart, but in the Hebrew mindset, it was the kidneys they talked about as the center of emotion. So he says, my kidneys, the depths of who I am, the very inner part of who I am, rebuke me in the night. Have you ever had that happen where maybe you wake up in the night or in the morning or whatever and God speaks to you, the Spirit speaks to you in a way where you feel His conviction? You realize maybe you need to repent of something or God has spoken to you. That's what David says, that, that in God's Word, by His Spirit, we can trust Him to direct us and lead us and guide us. So exercise that trust muscle. Believe that he will give you the guidance you need. Look to him. Trust in him. That's what David models for us. Exercise the trust muscle of instruction. Third is the muscle of security. Security. Now we're all scrambling to find a security, aren't we? In an insecure world. But notice how God, in his wisdom, keeps shaking up your world. (laughs) You never quite feel secure. You kind of step out and, and you try to get your balance and you realize suddenly you're on a log in the water (laughs) and it's starting to spin and you're trying to keep your balance and life feels unstable. God throws earthquakes and tsunamis and tornadoes our way, literally or figuratively struggles in your life, whether they're financial or relational or whatever it might be. But life feels out of control. And David is saying, if you're going to exercise your trust muscle of security, then here's how you do it. Notice what he says, verse 8, I have set the Lord before me continually. I have set the Lord continually before me. What's he saying? He's saying, in the midst of the craziness of life, if we're looking at those things, the craziness, the insecurities of life, we will begin to fall apart and be shaken by life. But he says the way to exercise your trust muscle is to keep the Lord always before you. But wait, but look at that, Lord, and look at, you know, we want to we want to look at circumstances, but it, David says, no, here's how you do it. You keep the Lord continually before you. Lord, you're powerful. Lord, you're glorious. You are in control. Yeah, life's crazy, but you're here. You're, you're involved. I can trust you in the midst of life. You are here. You haven't abandoned me. And so the more we set the Lord in front of us, the more secure we will be in him. That's exercising that trust muscle. You know, as you drive down the road, as you're, as you're um, driving on, a, on the highway or whatever, notice what happens if you don't keep your eyes on the road. You end up in the ditch, right? You end up injured. You, it doesn't work. You've got to keep your eyes on the road. And that's kind of the picture that David's giving here is you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord in the midst of whatever's going on around you. And if you will set the Lord continually before you, you will find yourself growing in trust, exercising that trust muscle. And I find that just an encouragement to you and to one another is that 
That's one of the greatest things we can offer to one another because sometimes when people are going through some really difficult circumstances, it's hard for them to see that the Lord is there. And so ministry to one another is often coming alongside someone and reminding them how the Lord is involved, how the Lord is there. Hasn't that been an encouragement to you when people have done that? So be an encouragement to someone else when they're struggling with the insecurities of life. Remind them the Lord is there. Help them set the Lord continually before them. The final uh, muscle is the muscle of hope. The muscle of hope. I run into a lot of us as Christians that either avoid the topic of death or are afraid of dying. Now, a lot of Christians think, you know, I, I, um, I know I'll be with the Lord but I'm really terrified of the process of dying. We kind of have the attitude of, I think it's Woody Allen who said this, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> we kind of feel that way. We're afraid of the process, huh? Because it's hard. It's not pretty a lot of times. So David shows us now that we are to exercise our faith muscle in our hope the hope that we will be with him and that even our dying process is in God's hands. Verse 9 through 11 really reflects this. Let me start in verse 10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. I love this because David... Trust God, even though he was long before Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection, and yet he still believes that he will be with the Lord forever and it will be a place of eternal pleasures and joy forever. I know you now, Lord, and I'm looking forward to heaven because I'm going to be with you forever and it'll be fabulous. So David trusts in the Lord. He puts his hope in the Lord. He exercises his faith, trust, muscle of hope. And he calls us to do the same, to believe that our life and even our death is in his hands. How he chose, chooses to take us, he will give us whatever resources we need to go through it. Now in verse 10 he says, you won't abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Is a terrific statement of trust and actually, what I think is going on here is David is prophesying of Jesus. Because David clearly underwent decay physically. In fact, two places in the New Testament, this verse is quoted by Peter in Acts 2 and by Paul in Acts 15, I think it's 15, um, to describe, 13, Acts 13, to describe that, hey, David said this, but he was prophesying about the one to come, Jesus, who did not undergo decay. David did. But Jesus was the one who rose after three days. In fact, the early church and throughout history have often thought this is actually a prophecy of Jesus rising after three days. Because in the Jewish mindset, the body in the tomb, after someone died, they did not decay for three days, but on the fourth day, their bodies began to decay. 
Well, Jesus did not reach that point of decaying. He rose from the grave. And it's a great reminder of the hope we have that David didn't have is because Jesus rose from the grave, we can have absolute confidence that he will come and get us and we will be with him. So though our bodies die, we receive new bodies immediately and we go be with the Lord immediately. So exercise that trust muscle. Put your faith in him that he has your future in his hands. Listen, folks, our trust muscle (laughs) needs a workout. It takes commitment. It takes reminding ourselves of the truth. I encourage you to go back to the psalm and read it over regularly to remind you of what it means to set the Lord before you, to remind yourself, I'll take refuge in you. Yeah, life's crazy, but I don't want to look at that. I want to look at you, Lord, and put my trust in you. And especially in these areas, contentment, to know that the Lord and what he's chosen to provide for us are enough. In the area of instruction, Lord, you are the place of wisdom. You are my wisdom. You are the truth. In security, to know that, Lord, my security is in you, and therefore, no matter what happens around me, I'll keep you before my face continually. And then the trust muscle of hope. Lord, my life is in your hands. However you choose to take me, I will trust you and I'll trust that I'll be with you forever. We know there's many things around us saying, trust me, trust me, trust this, trust that. Many idols. But God calls us to exercise our trust muscle to depend more and more on him because he wants our whole heart and he'll never settle for less than all that we are. So David teaches us true joy in life comes from exercising our trust muscle, trusting in him and in him alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for David's example here of a man who faced a lot of difficulty in his life and yet he declared his trust in you. May we be people who are exercising our trust muscle, learning to trust you more, learning to follow David's example, to declare that you are our refuge, our rock, and our only good is in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.